Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I am over here in kind of central. Where am I? Arrowhead? We're in Glendale. This is Glendale, the west side. Jay, you're up near the Arrowhead area. You got it. I'm over in Glendale with Logan Hall. Uh, Logan Hall just uh, successfully completed a bighorn sheep hunt in western Arizona. And Rick Flair. And um, we're going to get into that here in a minute. But uh, Logan and I have a background we've been friends for a long long time 20 plus years uh, I, I believe i first met your dad uh glenn hall on the control road in unit 23 with his buddies kent and jerry and mark mark mccleary and uh kent and jerry or kent and mark's dad scotty scotty uh they had an elk hunt um that's been that was 96 that's 22 years ago 22 Jay? years ago so we've been friends and so you were like 12 years old i think or 13 what are you 30 38 the the funny part about jay is when my dad met him jay jay was a minimalist back then still am still am (laughs) absolutely still am but uh he had some peanut butter and jelly some dr peppers and a little white Ford Ranger with a red tailgate that leaked how many quarts of oil every day? I would put a full quart of oil in it every day. I paid $1,000 actually for that vehicle. I remember I actually bought it from the California uh, Transportation Department. I had to drive over to, um, I think it was Long Beach. It was somewhere over there in Southern Cal and pick up the vehicle for $1,000. And um, had it was a two-wheel drive vehicle. If you remember, if we ever took it much off road you had to have cement bags I, or something in the back in of the your back. uh yep, bed of your truck get around. and that's <laughs> when i met glenn hall and then from there we had such a great time um we've gone to san carlos turkey hunting together we've gone to mexico hunting together with tyler and glenn and Coos. your dad and the wilmers and um, lots and lots of turkey hunts. Um, and then I believe I was there on your first deer hunt. Yeah, Jay. Or first successful deer The f- first kill. successful deer harvest. I had been hunting a few years before that and wasn't the best rifle shot way back then. Unfortunately, I've improved my craft there. And had unsuccessfully hunted deer for a few years. And Jay and I were after a couple little two-point bucks. And after kind of a long run down a mountain and trying to uh, get the fog out of my glasses. I, say, I remember your glasses. My glasses up. fog it up. We're sweating. I'm trying to find them in the scope. They're trying to get away. And uh, we were able to harvest a nice little two point, which I actually have in my garage. And I meant to take a picture of and send it to you. I'll send it to you and you can put it out there and uh, see where our hunting game has come from, Jay, from a little two-point coos buck to a uh, big old desert bighorn sheep. And yeah, you were with me when I shot my first deer. Yep. And you were also with me when I shot my first elk, which was in, I believe, 2003. I had a muzzleloader hunt in 3C. Yeah. And we got a good six by six on that hunt. You know, and I also, I had put in the Instagram that I was with you when you shot your first turkey, but I actually think the first turkey on the San Carlos, I think that's the bird you missed. That is the bird. So I think I actually missed you actually getting your first turkey. Yeah. Um, But remember that bird your dad called in? It mm -hmm. was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Came in and, and, you know, we all get excited and it's happened to me a bunch of times, but... I mean, he I shot the in, tree. Yeah, he came in and you shot the tree. And the bird <laughs> ran off and was like, "What the heck happened?" But uh, I thought for sure he was going to roll down and fall over somewhere. And we went and saw the pattern in the bark of the tree, and I plum missed him. Yeah, it happens to all of us. Um, Logan, so you're how old are you? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. So um, you are here. You're a successful real estate agent, and you have uh, been a great agent here for a long time. We're here in the Century 21 office. It's the Northwest office uh, here roughly at 59th Avenue, just south of Bell Road. Bell Road. Uh, here, got a beautiful office. Got, uh, of course, Jordan up on the wall, uh, MJ, and you've got uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Poor old Paul Goldschmidt jersey yep. up here on the wall. It was a sad, sad day a few days ago when I found out the Diamondbacks had to make a hopefully a good business decision yeah we got all types of stuff in here jay we got the snowboarding in the french alps the italian restaurant that i owned over in glendale we got every autograph from any influential arizona sports athlete and best of all 
all of these. That's awesome. Beautiful family photos. And, you know, it was so cool when we, uh, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday morning when we went to check your ram in um, after harvest, and I believe on the opening day, which was Saturday, you brought two of your kids with you. The little guys, little little ones stayed at home. Um, but it's just kind of cool to see you come from knowing you as a, as a little guy yourself and now you're a full-blown father and, and, um, you, you know, it's, it's pretty neat to see someone come in their life and come to, you know, full fruition. And it's so exciting to know that, you know, you've got a long life ahead of you and all the great things that you can do. Um, before we get into the sheep and talking a little bit about that, uh, let's talk a little bit of Arizona real estate. Uh, I know the listeners out there, there's not one of them that isn't affected in some way by real estate. And, um, you know, since our crash and, you know, the end of 07, early 08, we had a crash and here, particularly in Maricopa County, you know, things were really, really rough there for a while. Um, but things have seemed like prices have really rebounded strong. Talk a little bit about the market itself. Um, kind of where we're at and, and um, how, you know, how the last couple of years are going and kind of where we're at now. Yeah, good question, Jay. We've been, you know, selling real estate here in the Valley for a couple decades and seeing the ups and downs. I, I put my toes in the water at the end of 07 when everything was just about to crash and kind of built my foundation on doing short sales, which was all the grunt work most other agents didn't want to do. And since then, it, things have been good. We've really come up. There's been some reports the last couple of months that show that we've apexed the median home values back in the day when they were at the peak. Here over the last few months, we have started to see a tad bit of a, a slowdown, uh, not a standstill, but a slowdown. Our inventories continue to trickle up. I actually just looked at the inventory this morning and was talking with one of my new agents here that we were training that over the last couple of months, our inventory has gone up 10% almost. Uh, give or take, maybe even a little bit more. And so simple supply and demand economics, the supply is going up, the demand is still strong. Usually during the holidays, things slow down. We traditionally have a pretty strong first quarter with a lot of the snowbird influence in the retirement areas and just coming out to enjoy our weather and our outdoors. And so we usually see it pick up there, but rates had been coming up over the last couple of weeks. They decided to trickle down a little bit and that does kind of push people on and off the fence. But the fact of the matter is that historically, you know, uh, real estate is a good investment. You've got to ride the ups and downs and the goods with the bads and and all that. But no, we're cranking along Glendale, West Valley, uh, all of Maricopa County. There's a few cities in Maricopa County that have been voted, you know, the top five growing cities, best place to come and get a new job, best place to start a family. So, you know, Maricopa County and the state of Arizona in general is just been trending forward if you go back 50 years when people thought it was a couple palm trees in the middle of a desert and here we are all full blown out four million plus metropolitan city with one of the biggest airports in the the country so it's a great time to buy real estate jay you know depend upon what it is and and what your needs are i like to sit down with everybody and, and find out what their intentions are and what's going to be best for their interest and kind of contour our search and our strategy together but no it's been been a great ride and and working for a great company and the opportunity to be on espn this earlier this year representing century 21 and some of the other fun community and philanthropic things we're involved in it's just a roundabout great life to live jay scott yeah, and you know, um, pretty cool too. You've had a radio show for a long period of time. It's kind of on pause right now, but um, had a, a great listenership and following. And and um, one of the things that I like so much about it is it 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 breathes so much positivity. Um, you are a person that that are, you're a positive person. Um, Try to be. Yeah, and um, that's something that's always uh, attracts people to you. Um, as far as you know, your every day, are you working with clients, uh, buyers and sellers every day? Or what is, you know, what is your everyday um, job here? You've got this nice office, like what, tell people what you do. Yeah, here, you know, I wear a few different hats here at Century 21 Northwest. I'm the uh, top producing Century 21 agent in the state, but also the vice president in career development here. So I'm in charge of doing all the, the recruiting, the interviewing, the hiring, and uh, then our team onboards and trains all of our agents to get them uh, to be successful as soon as possible. So yeah, between our two offices, we've got about 150 agents. We're the number one Century 21 in the state. 
And, you know, I help residential, I help commercial buyers, sellers. I told you I sold 70 acres of raw land in Black Canyon City to a mining company from Toronto or $230,000 home in Surprise, Arizona or a million dollar listing up in North Scottsdale. So all over the place, anyone that needs help around the valley and, you know, nationally and internationally, we can always get you connected with a good Century 21 agent. But things have been really good. And, you know, we started our, our meeting here earlier with talking about a saying that I've said pretty much since college that pretty simple, um, you know, Jay, good things happen to good people who work hard. I don't think you can really dispute that statement. It's pretty true in every essence of the phrase. And that's just what it's all about is, you know, consistently putting other people's interests ahead of your own, living that golden rule concept that unfortunately not too many people these days have. And when we do lead that way and lead by example, hopefully it does shine a little bit of hope and glimmer into some people that might not have some otherwise and it's that time of the year right now during the holidays where everybody needs cheer and it's a great time to to love your neighbor and love your family and love your friends and celebrate friendships and the fact that we're all here together on this beautiful earth and that we woke up today yeah it's beautiful you know I get a lot of um, questions on my Instagram and then people sending me emails which I really appreciate and really look forward to kind of communicating with you're awesome with engaging with yeah, I everybody I, I, I follow your comments your emails we were talking about my friend Kazdin and you remembered his name and yeah. he sent you a couple emails years ago and you still remember the emails that you were talking to him about you do take a really awesome care and I think that's why some of your listeners really enjoy because of your personal touch and you know they can ask you a specific question on anything hunting and and you're going to respond to them with a good answer and pretty quickly too so yeah. uh, congratulations on that i know that's a big thing that your listeners enjoy i lo- i love following you and, and that type of stuff as well well i appreciate that one of, one of the questions that i get a lot is from young young guys guys or gals both um and they're trying to you know figure out college they're trying to figure out what they want to do and, you know, a lot of them are, are asking me for advice. You know, they see what I'm doing with hunting and fishing and, you know, living the outdoor lifestyle and what have you. And they're like, well, I want that. How do I get that? And, you know, a lot of times I have to, it's pretty in-depth conversation, um, you know, talking about all sorts of business, entrepreneurship, whatever they decide to do, you know, whether it be working for Walmart or, or um, uh, Costco or or uh, IBM or, you know, whatever, or going out and starting their own business. Um, You know, you're obviously successful at what you do. You've been in the mortgage business as well um, and and have background in finance and what have you. From if you were going to talk to young people that are kind of starting out and trying to figure out what they're going to do, trying to figure out their path, you know, whether they're going to open their own business or go to work for someone, what are some things that you would maybe tell them that you've kind of lived through and, you know, maybe a little bit of advice and then we'll start talking about sheep, but I think it's a good place to start. And I think that's really cool that that's part of your, your podcast and your premise. We were talking when we were hiking out there that not all your questions that you get are hunting or fishing related. A lot of them are business related and, and inspiration in life and direction and, and questions and things that people are trying to make big decisions on. So I think that's really cool that people look up to you on that and you shared some examples of some of your listeners who've gotten into the real estate and been flipping some houses and making some money with it which you know it it takes money to make money and and you know that and I know that but we've all got to start somewhere and I think the key the key fact to something that you're really going to pour into that you're going to do for a really long time like you've really done with your hunting and fishing is that you have to love it you have to love it you have to love what you do every aspect and if you don't, then you you probably need to find something that you do. You know, I haven't always done things I've loved. And, you know, usually pretty good at things. But quickly, you'll find out if that's a good fit for you or not. The other thing I'll tell you is that it doesn't happen overnight. And consistency and persistency, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil there's nothing nothing more true about that. The early bird gets the worm. There's noth- nothing more true about that statement either. It's If you're a business owner, you don't work 40 hours a week. The, these sorts of things. 
and, and at the end of the day, just the passion, yeah. I, I think truly is, is what it is, the passion for your craft and what you do. And are you, are you in it for yourself? Are you in it for someone else? Are you in it for, for everyone else? Um, and, and finding that and nurturing that. And again, it's usually not the first thing that you try your hand at, but I knew way back when, when I borrowed my grandpa's lawnmower one summer and started mowing lawns that I I really enjoyed working hard and I really enjoyed earning a living and, and these sorts of things. The second component of that, the mistake that I did make Jay, that I, I would love any younger listeners or older listeners to, to learn from is financially do not get yourself in too much debt. Do not leverage yourself. Uh, In my early 20s, I thought I was a real estate tycoon and um, that I needed fancy cars and fancy clothes and fancy vacations. And uh, I rode that wave for a while and it was a lot of fun. But, you know, really when that wave crashed, I I crashed and I scraped the reef underneath the surface of the water, Jay. It was it was rough, and that was really my own doing. Uh, there's a lot of th- things and programs out there, not to plug Dave Ramsey, but the Financial Peace University or things at your church or th- things that may provide to you. Boy, when I, I went through one of those at 28 after I had to pretty much start fresh and clean after a couple short sales and foreclosures and other financial catastrophes that happened in the late 2000s, I was a much more conservative approach with everything, and especially when I started to bring the family into the fold. I had been financially stable and unstable at the same moment, and I didn't know it until things went south. And when economies and things do take a turn, uh, that hits everybody. No one is exempt from it, and I do feel that in the next year or two years, we're going to see a slow retraction in our economy and stock market, nothing like what happened you know, a decade plus ago. But... The, the one thing I would say is that it's not all about having the brand new Polaris Razor or the fancy new pickup truck or the fancy new pair of binos or these sorts of things. And, and certainly we need those things when the time is right. But uh, my biggest mistake, Jay, that I would love for anyone to learn from that I'm still learning from is that debt just isn't worth it. You know, for most things, if you can't go and pay cash for it, you probably shouldn't have it. The two things that are kind of exempt from that typically are a roof over your head and maybe a good mode, of, mode, safe, secure, reliable mode of transportation to and from your work. But the rest of that stuff, you know, live within your means. And then when great opportunities do present themselves investment-wise, like you've been able to take advantage of over the last 15 years, you're in a position where you can strike. And, you know, I think there's going to be some opportunity that's forthcoming in a bunch of different diversified areas over the next few years. So, yeah, you know, thing is find out what you love, be passionate about it. Uh, 40-hour self-employed people, entrepreneurs usually don't make it. And then second, be financially savvy and don't leverage yourself. Uh, you don't need the fancy Polaris Razor and the fancy brand new pickup truck every three years. You might need a good pair of binos to find some big animals out there. <laughs> but other than that, just uh, live within your means and and make sure that if, if tomorrow you got in a car accident or the company you worked for shut its doors, that you would be okay and would be able to weather that storm for a minimum of six to 12 months nest egg somewhere, somehow. That's great advice. Great advice. Um Moving forward and talking about your sheep hunt, we just finished an awesome experience. One of the cool things was your dad had a tag uh, in in a unit just to the north of the unit where you harvested in 2009. And he, I believe at the time, had max bonus points and had drawn that tag. And me, you, and Tyler uh, and and a few other friends uh, were able to go and have a great hunt. We did quite a bit of scouting, saw a lot of different rams, and... Your dad ended up harvesting an awesome ram with his muzzleloader um, and um, real heavy ram, not as long as yours, but heavy all the way throughout the horn. And then, you know, fast forward to this year and this fall and this summer, uh, you draw the tag and <laughs> we, we make a plan to... Our buddy Eric Swanson, we got to give a shout out to him. Uh, I was in Colorado. He went out and put some awesome 
work into putting trail cameras out, which ironically, Eric had the unit in 2011. Mm -hmm. So he knew the... the We're all the secret drinkers that even if you had the GPS coordinates, you would not have found these. Right. And so he goes out this summer and puts out... 115 degree weather, (laughs) August 1st. He says he's wearing tank tops and shorts. And And we have photos to prove it. Yep. (laughs) And he goes and puts trail cameras out. And I think that's kind of a tip that people can can hear that if they draw a sheep tag in mm-hmm. Arizona, most of the units, especially the Western ones, you know, there's really no water for sheep to drink other than mostly game and fish, you know, approved, you know, or built catchments, uh, whether it be metal catchments or, um, you know, in this particular unit, there's a couple that are just built in the rocks mm-hmm. and all over the state, uh, they do that. And, and one thing about running trail cameras uh, now these are not the cell cameras; these are regular trail cameras. Is during the hot months when those sheep have to water, it gives you a sense of inventory of the unit, which was key, uh, ever key. And real quick to to talk about my dad's hunt that we had done some scouting for that hunt, but we didn't we didn't have all the trail cameras set up. And the, I think kind of the cool moral of that story of my dad's sheep is that he shot a sheep that. No one knew was we had never seen him. Yeah, out of all the rams we saw, that was one we never never saw, and he was the biggest one. Yeah, and so that was fortune, a little bit of luck, and being in the right place at the right time. And then you know, fast forward advancements and us getting better, and you getting much better, and Eric helping out with the trail cameras that we were able to go out and and sort through over fifteen thousand photos. Yeah, it was actually uh, forty. Yeah, it was like 40,000. And had two dozen rams, more or less, to pick from. And this one ram in particular that, that we named Ric Flair. Wait a minute. <laughs> we didn't name him Ric Flair. I think that came from you. I think I did name him. Uh, Jay mentioned my name's Logan. I've also been called Hulk Logan uh, in the <laughs> wrestling world references. So we, I named him Ric Flair. I think as soon as you saw, I saw photo, him because I I had never seen a ram that his his tips curled all the way out to the outside of the inside frame of his horns. If that makes any sense, looking straight on at you or dead away from you, you could still see the tips flaring out. In addition, his horns were kind of a yellow, real yellowy color, yeah. especially on some of the trail camera pics we got. And old Ric Flair had some bleach blonde yellow hair, so, so we the, named him Ric Flair. One of the things that was really cool about that is when I got back from Colorado, we immediately, me, you, and Eric actually went out there in my Ranger, and it was fun because you were able, I had picked up some uh, of the cards the day before, mm-hmm. and then you guys met me uh, that, that next morning, but um, it was fun having you out there because you were able to go on a bunch of the hikes and go check all the different cameras. And we actually pulled the cameras because our thinking was that was like November 15th, roughly. Our thinking was there are long hikes in, you know, roads are not to those cameras. There are long hikes in. And rather than detracting from our scouting before the hunt started December 1st, we figured we were going to kind of live and die by the photos that we had already had. So we figured we were already going to have what we needed on the camera. And we pulled all those cameras. And I remember when we went to the one drinker that we hiked into and Ric Flair was on it, immediately you you were like, I love that Ram. That and then was even, even that night when I got home and started sending you photos, you kept going back to where's Ric Flair? Where's Ric Flair? Um, so we kind of focused our scouting then on trying. We only had pictures of them at one drink. Mm-hmm. There were some Rams that we had at a bunch Multiple of different drinkers. drinkers. So in my mind, that it kind of told me that that Ram probably is isolated over there where that drinker was. Um, I've done it long enough to know that, you know, once these monsoon rains hit and such, and once it cools down, they can be anywhere. And that's what I was going to say that I thought was interesting to learn from you also when we were talking about leaving the trail cameras out. Not only were they in really challenging spots to get to, to go retrieve them or go check cards again and take away from the time hunting, 
you had taught me that, you know, once those monsoons kind of start to come in and they can get their water from the leaves and the cacti and, you know, little puddles here and there, that we didn't see many more trail camera pics of sheep, I think, after September, really, even. Yeah, I mean, it, we they, saw they were almost photos, no- but it was, it was, there was no pattern. No, zero that, pattern. It seemed like there was a pattern and that they had to come to water and that you saw them more consistently, consistently. even though Ric Flair was only on uh, basically like six or eight, maybe six or seven photos one time. Um, there was a bunch of other Rams that, you know, every four or five days would come in and get a drink. But then once it started cooling down, we started getting to the October time frame. Yes, we got photos of sheep and yes, we got photos of rams, but there was no pattern to them. No they pattern and less, and less of them, less for of sure. Them. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was smart to not be spending our time or someone else's time to go chase those trail cameras and get another two weeks worth of pictures. Another thing that I would recommend anyone on the sheep hunt, and I you know, I, I got six days of scouting in on this hunt. I, you know, I wish it would have been more, but life's challenging is get out and scout. What I really found was really cool was getting to know that unit and seeing some of the, the really cool, beautiful parts of the unit. None of which we ended up spending our five days before the hunt and day of the, the harvest in. So had I not come out to scout, to check trail cameras and try to find some other sheep, I'd have no clue how beautiful the rest of that unit is and where that cool canyon is with that drinker i'll try to send you that video and you could show some people that that video that drinker we found in that little slot canyon but you know the sheep hunt is is a once in a lifetime deal and you know i wish i would be able to spend more time i think we all would wish we would spend more time and we spent the right amount of time obviously we we got the job done but if you have the opportunity even though it is hot you know get out there and it's it's a lot of fun because it's it's beautiful country yeah, and I think something to point out, especially with sheep, which is a lot different than deer and elk, is I've always said the most important time for a sheep hunt is the exact week before the hunt because you can see the sheep in the summer, you can see the sheep in the fall, and then you need to know where those sheep are the seven days prior to the hunt. And then if you find the ram that you want to hunt, you need to be able to stay on that ram. So if you if if potential sheep hunters out there are listening for thinking about their hunt, um, I wouldn't beat yourself up about if you can't get out in Agreed. August and September and October. But come November, you need to get pretty serious because... Um, and the closer that your hunt starts, the more you need to be paying attention because you need to know where those rams are when your hunt is. It doesn't matter where they are in July and August. Not, but the key is knowing they're alive and they're there. So if you can establish, we were able to, with the trail cameras, establish two or three rams that we thought were our top rams, that allows you to do that without being out there and glassing them up yourself. So if you can combine the trail camera photos with out there on on foot knowledge, that kind of replaces what we were doing in 2009, where in 2009 we started in you know early October and trying to keep video and phone scope pictures of those rams. Back then there was no phone scope, but you know I was using the old digiscope. But <laughs> yeah. in essence, creating a list of inventory that fast forward nine years we had a list of inventory off the trail cameras so then it became trying to find a couple of those rams alive and find them where they're at right before the hunt starts. well your analogy kept saying is that we're still shopping right and i thought that was a beautiful approach and yeah i i wish i'd have been able to get out there a little more in september october obviously it had been crazy hot but I would agree with you that though, you know, November, you know, the first beginning of November and for sure the two weeks before your hunt, that's the prime time. If you can save your vacation time and your wife watching the kids time days for that and not spend it initially, I'm glad that it worked out that way. You know, coming into November, I was, oh man, I wish we were out more, but I'm glad that it worked out that that we were able to spend those six days before the hunt because what you said is exactly what happened. We scouted a few days, you know, finding rams, got a couple of big rams scouting and then found the big ram on Tuesday morning and watched him all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, 
all day Friday, which, by the way, it wasn't easy to find him every morning. He moved over a mile, mile plus with his herd one night, and we just happened to catch him. And so that's one thing we'll talk about there. And then, you know, watched him all day until Friday night. Another key component is we had a bunch of good guys with some good optics that all had kind of different vantage points. We had spotters kind of spread out everywhere. And that opening morning, we found the sheep. We couldn't locate Ric Flair. Yeah. And it was one of our other spotters that was further down the road and, and a different perspective that ended up finding Ric Flair. So we, we were able to spend the time scouting, find one of the sheep that we had on camera that was the top sheep. Uh, we had a couple others that were close that would have been really great Rams as well. And then when we actually found him, boy, we weren't letting him go. I, I kept telling Jay, You'd go up there and you'd lasso his leg and tie him to a saguaro cactus for me and have him there open in morning. But uh, we did the next best thing, which was watch him from sun up to sundown and know his pattern and that he did move yeah, quite think, a bit. I think the crazy thing about this ram, um, compared to a lot of others that I've hunted, is every night that we put him to bed, the next morning he was not there. Nope. And I would tell you that other rams that I've hunted in the past – 99% of the time, they're within about 50 to 100 yards of where you put them, if not in the same exact spot where you put them to bed. Uh, this ram was never in the same spot, and most of the time he was at least at least a half mile away. So it was a little bit of a challenge um, from that aspect because you kind of put them to bed, and literally when I'm talking about putting him to bed every night, it was, I would watch him. We would watch him, our group in, you know, we'd have different angles at him. We had him kind of surrounded and would literally watch till you couldn't see anymore. Literally pitch black, dark, go back there the next morning, expecting to see him right there. And he's gone. So it creates a situation where you're like, well, is he right here? Did he just move over 50 yards or is he gone, gone? And then you have to start expanding your search out and, and, and search, you know, further and further and further away. But then the further away you get, you start second guessing going, do I need to bounce back? Is he closer? Did we just miss him in a little slot canyon? And what's weird is normally when you put these sheep to bed, you can pretty much bet they're going to be within 100 or 200 That's yards. That's what you of, kept saying. And, and it never happened ever one time with this ram. Uh, Pretty, pretty neat scenario uh, on this particular ram when the day when you, me, and Eric went and checked those photos, um, you know, it was clear and evident that this ram had a real unique look. He was flared out, hence the name Ric Flair. Um, and he was, in my opinion, and, you know, your opinion, not only was he the coolest, you thought he was the coolest, but he was the biggest. And I didn't know that. I knew he was a good ram, and I think one thing that I, I loved about when you're out helping me hunt is that you're you're conservative. Uh, I, I've hunted with plenty of other guys, and we won't name any names, but their bulls are always 10% bigger than they actually tape out at. And even until the moment that we got to the game and fish department on Tuesday and he taped it, you still had a little devilish grin in on your face and gave me a little wink that you know he was going to be a good ram yeah and he was what i think you're getting at is that we weren't hung up on the score really at all no i don't think you asked me one time what i don't think you ever said what do you think he scores i didn't jay and i intentionally didn't do that and then the night that we were scoring we all took our guesses at camp when uh, you were going to score him. I didn't even put a guess in on that either. And, and my prayers the night before reflected that, that I didn't care what he scored. I wanted to kill that ram. I wanted him to be big, but not bigger than my dad's ram. That's the God's honest truth and prayer that I prayed that night and that morning when we got on there. And it's exactly what happened. We killed that ram. He was a freaking beast. And he was just a little bit smaller than my dad's ram, which is perfect. Big, perfect. I, I, I want to talk about the shot. You shot him with a muzzleloader. Um, before we get to that, though, <laughs> I want to uh, quickly thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, the gear shop. 
My buddy Cody Nelson of 20-plus years is the optics manager. Cody's the man. Cody's the man. And Cody is the optics manager. And if you guys have any optical needs out there at all for binos, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, whatever it may be, you can call him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Or you can send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. He answers all the calls himself and he answers all the emails himself. And Logan, I know you know Cody very well. He's a great guy, very conscientious. I just actually have released a couple podcast episodes uh, with him. So if you haven't listened to those, listen. We're, we answered a bunch of listeners' questions on, on optics. And we actually have a part three to release here in a day or two. I want to thank GoHunt.com uh, Gear Shop for their sponsorship. Also, Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, their gear works. <laughs> Logie dropped about a grand before his Yeah, started. I helped, I helped <laughs> the Kuyu uh, brand keep going. And and I have to say, um, you know, the, the Tiburon pants, you know, with the dot air technology. and Those things were key. key you know, awesome pants. And, and I think I was telling you about them, and you kind of were like looking at me like, really, are they that good? And I think you got to uh, see it firsthand how good they are. They were great, breathable, durable. I liked that Kenai Ultra jacket too. That thing was – I get a little cold, colder than most, and, and that thing kept me warm but not, not too hot. You know, I've been buying their stuff for years now, the breathability, the the durability of the, the fabrics, and I just like the design. They've got the pockets in the right place, the zipper vents to cool down your, your hot places or zip you back up, warm you up. Uh, I'm not sponsored by Kuyu. I might as well be <laughs> on that kill shot in that video. I think we're Kuyu'd head it's to money. tail, all of us. <laughs> it's money. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, Kuyu also- green money pattern is what they call that one, but... Great gear for sure, and and I know I've had that stuff for years. Yeah, and um, so I want to thank Kuyu. That's k u i u dot com. Check them out, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. I also want to thank based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona, CanyonCoolers.com. If you use the J Scott promo code, you're going to get a ten percent discount. They make good coolers. Yeah, very good, and I like them because they're local. Um, Flagstaff, then, NAU baby. Yeah, F- Logan went to NAU. Go Jacks. Um, phonescope.com. I know Logan, you bought a phone scope. I, I know bought Tyler, a phone scope Tyler and got some awesome video. I, I always felt inept. I was always that guy that <laughs> was trying to get somehow my camera on my phone to line up with that little peephole through one of your eyepieces of your binocular. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work, yeah. man. I tried that week before and you looked at me and said, Logan, what are you doing? Yeah. So I used that J Scott promo code, J Scott 18, got yeah. that 10% off and I was able to get a bunch of awesome photos and video on my phone of the RAM and some other fun stuff that uh, I'll cherish forever. Yeah, PhoneScope's awesome. Yeah, so PhoneScope 18, like Logan said, or jscott18, uh, phonescope.com. You get that 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com. That, that was awesome too, Jay. Yeah, so Logan just hit up all my sponsors. <laughs> if you use the jscott18 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount at OnX. But one of the things, Logan, that you obviously saw is um, the sponsors that I have, uh, I use the gear every day. So You use the gear. I used it. It worked. The OnX, I think one of the cooler features on that was being able to share your waypoint directly with somebody else and yep. be able to draw that line distance. Hey, I'm on a mile and a half from you or yep. marking your, your spots or the tracker where if you, you know, when we went into those drinkers, the breadcrumb. that we would have to follow that breadcrumb trail all the way yep. right back to it. I thought uh, all those, those products work well. Again, I'm not getting paid <laughs> by those sponsors. Uh, but if you want to send some free Kuyu gear my way, here's my address. But uh, all great stuff, and indeed you use all of that stuff, and it works. And I know that you use it because it works, and your gear gets used. And I could tell it got used; it's been used, and it it still was in really good shape. And yeah, that's the best stuff in the business. Right on. Well, I want to thank those sponsors um, for you know that's what makes this podcast possible. In, in other words, I'm able to spend the amount of time that I do with the podcast, and by them compensating me and supporting you guys the listeners that's what makes this all work uh so i appreciate you guys using them i appreciate you showing them support um logan you your dad had shot his ram uh with a muzzleloader and i believe at the time that he shot it it was like the number three uh long hunter which is the muzzleloader book so to speak and it was 
you had actually considered um, doing this hunt with a bow. And I know you had bought a new bow. Um, I believe Daniel helped you out and you'd been shooting. But I think it was like the day before you kind of decided that with the circumstances, with it being the number one ram, that you just felt like your opportunity was probably going to be better with a muzzleloader. Kind of like to ask you about that and kind of, because um, I know other people out there listening kind of probably go through the same thing mm-hmm. and kind of what made your decision and, and why did you choose to go with a muzzleloader even over the rifle? Yeah, great question. And yeah, big shout out to Arizona Archery Club, Daniel and Tony and all those guys over there. They they put together a really nice bow for me quickly and, and were helping me get it dialed in. Jay, I've, I've harvested four elk. I've been fortunate to harvest four elk, one with a muzzleloader, three with a bow. Uh, ironically, I've never harvested a deer with a bow, and I wanted to try to tackle the accomplishment in getting a sheep with a bow. I don't think I really had any clue what I was in for as far as the difficulty level. I knew that the terrain we were hunting was really wide open, and it was going to be extremely challenging to get in close. I wasn't able to stretch my shot out quite as far as I think we all felt comfortable and confident in uh, going after this ram with the bow and I I think really what what was uh, a very influential factor was our conversation we had that Friday morning that was a very diplomatic conversation where you know Jay asked me hey let's let's talk about what we're going to do with this ram let's let's talk it all out and I was pretty dead set I was going to try to chase him with my bow even though I, I I wasn't out 60 yards with it yet and after a, a very indifferent conversation with Jay about the circumstances and the fact that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, that I had 27 bonus points, that this was the biggest ram in the unit, and that we weren't the only ones wanting to kill that ram, in addition that it, this was the ram that I wanted, and there, that, that had never wavered, uh, after having that conversation with you and then breaking off and kind of having a one-on-one conversation with my dad, who I run all big decisions by in life, and then a conversation with my little bro, who you and him are the Mount Rushmore of hunters. You could throw Dar Colburn and Jan, John Ray and a few of others, Eric Swanson, those other guys, Tony. Um, and between those three conversations I had with you guys, it was extremely apparent and easy decision to make that we weren't going to go after him with the bow so then it left the option of the rifle and the muzzle loader my dad has been getting really good with the muzzle loader he's harvested a couple antelope over the last few years in new mexico and uh, from long range with his muzzle loader and i said hey I, I i that'd be fun dad you killed your sheep with a muzzle loader and that's adds a little bit extra degree of difficulty and challenge to the hunt but not enough to where we're going to risk losing the big ram and so the the goal was to try to shoot him with the muzzle loader and day before we got the muzzle loader sighted in dialed in it shoots a 45 caliber bullet and we were able to get a really good shot uh that morning with the muzzle loader so it had pretty much been decided that friday morning hey uh the bow's going to stay in the truck and we're going to take the muzzle loader and the rifle if necessary, depending upon what the circumstances were. And I think one thing to, to really note about that opening morning, Jay, and it was really hard for all of us to do, even though uh, the coach, Mr. Jay Scott, and my dad gave me the pep talk saying, nothing we're going to do today is going to be in a hurry. We've got all day to kill this ram. we got all month to kill this ram. And so we slipped in there and and... The circumstances weren't perfect for us to make our stock. And I think we played pinball three or four times back and forth on which ridge we were going to cut up in and which well, way the wind was going. And it was blowing dead out of the southwest to northeast. And so we we planned our stock that way. It got up right where we were, and it had done a complete shift and was blowing right at the sheep. Yeah. We had to literally, when you talk about pinball – um, not just pinball in our mind. We literally had to get in Physically. almost into position and then do a 180. Slip right slip, back out. You know, half mile all the way around, and we did that multiple times. Most three times on the full and a couple times down in the river bottom, hiking 100 yards this way and then back. And what, what I'll say on that is that 
you know, the four of us together were able to kind of calm each other down because I think each one of us, more than one occasion during that pinballing, was getting a little Brother. antsy yeah. and, and anxious, yeah. if you will. And I, I think that we all kind of, you know, coached each other and said, hey, yeah, I know. Laugh about it. Laugh about it. it. Right. And hey, you know what? Yeah, we're not sitting in the right place. We should probably move and get out of the, the, the wind and get down and, and take it calm. And I think that that's a really cool lesson to learn. And, and even though you told me that before we left the truck, it's a whole lot different when you're four or 500 yards from them and that adrenaline's going and you want to go shoot this animal and, and the circumstances aren't, aren't providing that opportunity. So I think that that's one thing to learn. And I, I know when I listen to your podcast, I'm always trying to learn that, that the patience for sure uh, in life and, and especially yeah. in hunting really, really paid off for us. Well, and I think too, to drive it home a little more as I think for the listeners out there, what I try and do once we establish that we're going to try and harvest a particular animal, I try and look at it and let's say it's in the morning. I try and look at it from a perspective of, um, we don't have to kill that animal in the next 30 minutes or in the next hour. We have to get them killed that day. And you had said that, uh, when we were communicating with our team and trying to put together a plan, is it, Hey, our plan we're putting together right now at seven thirty in the morning isn't because we have to kill him by eight. Right. Uh, our plan that we're putting together right now, and it was a working plan. Our initial plan isn't anything what we ended up doing was that there was no urgency in it, that right. we were going to be very patient and acute with our, our attack. And we did. Yeah. And I, I think that's something if the listeners out there would take a little bit more time. Yeah. Um, I get quick and anxious. I think we all do. And I think part of having me, you, Tyler, and your dad together, I think there were, just like you said, it was an ebb and flow where, you know, a couple times you were like, what the heck? A couple times, Tyler, your dad, me, um, where you, you know, it's obvious, but if you're by yourself, it's real easy to be like, to heck with this and get, get aggressive and go right at something and have the wind screwed up and have them blow over the top of the mountain and either lose them or somebody else shoot them. Which we had a little bit of that. Yeah. We honestly did. We, we were frustrated and thought the heck with it. Let's just go this way and see what, see happens. what, and then, and then we started hiking that way and the, 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 the sheep just moved, the ram just moved. You might want to, literally the word pinball is what we did in that bottom of that wash. Yeah. So we get up there, we stock up 195 yards from the ram, and I'm peeking over the hill. I can see him, and then I tell you to just ease up there, take your pack, and get in shooting position first. Get all set up, and then me and Tyler, or me and Tyler and your dad would kind of ease up. We're only five yards from you, but I think that's another good thing of like get the shooter first, get him going first. I said to use your eye, your naked eye, spot the sheep, spot where you want to shoot from, put the packs down and kind of be ready. And I think that tip is like, if something were to go awry and you had to take a shot that was quicker than you, what you wanted, you're not in the back of the group. You're already the one set up. You're already the one that, you know, you're, you're the important one. Everybody else can get settled for video and all that stuff, but get the shooter settled first, get the shooter, you know, being able to acquire the target first. That way, if something did go awry, if the decision was made, go ahead and shoot them, you could. Uh, I've seen it before where like spotters go over the hill first and they're setting up and they're videoing and something goes awry and the shooter's not even positioned. So you get in position and it wasn't the greatest setup. We had those big giant black rocks um, it wasn't the best setup, and I'm glad you brought that up. That that you had that you me or you my dad and Tyler said Logan, you go up first, and I did. And you know I wasn't fully prone, ready to shoot, but if I needed to take a shot, I I probably could have. But I also still had in the back of my head that we didn't have to shoot that sheep right now. So yes, that opportunity was there, and um, you know sometimes that you might need to take that shot because other animals run for miles and you never ne get another crack. But I think what you kept telling me though was slow and steady. Yeah. And you know a pack, a gun, two foot boulders, 
and a sheep that you can see his monster horns with your naked eye from across the canyon looking at us. you. Yeah, he's facing us. I don't know that he ever saw us, but he was looking in it, our it, right, direction. Do, right straight at our direction. So, yeah, I was able to, to get up there. One other thing I'll tell you, and not every hunter does it, um, I don't hunt without a bipod. I, you know, I've tried the shooting stick. There's just too many opportunities that that you can't get a good dead rest, and if you do, you're too low in the weeds or the sage or whatever it is. I one time missed a shot at a really big antelope because I wasn't high enough off the weeds off the ground. So we had the uh, bipod on the gun, bipod out, uh, had a pack and a couple of coats, and I was able to kind of do that sitting prone position. It wasn't very comfortable. I had a big boulder going right up my rear end. And uh, was able to get pretty steady, though. And then you guys kind of came up and got yourself uh, set up, getting ready to spot. Another thing that I really appreciated is that, you know, they kept reminding me to make sure that we're shooting the right ram. Because there was two rams. The other ram was a good ram. But Ricky Flair had his distinct look. But it's very easy. And I've made the wrong decision of shooting uh, elk that maybe I wish I would not have because didn't take the time and confirm that why that was the right animal. So, you know, we've learned from experiences in the past on that. And even when I said I had the right animal, they confirmed and confirmed again. Then that's the, are you sure, Logan? He's looking this way. He's the one with the rock here. Yeah, okay. Then the other thing I thought was very helpful was you guys just telling me to take my time and breathe and making sure that I was good and steady. I did have a little... And that's what I was going to ask you, like, when the moment of truth came, um, how did you feel? Like, did you feel 100% confident or were you like 90%? Like, where were you at as far as when you were looking through the crosshairs? Did it take you a while to kind of finally settle down? Because I remember you finally were like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like, did, did enough time go by that it actually got better or did it actually get worse? No, I, I wanted it to try to be that. There's been times in the past where it's been in a rush. I get in the scope and I take a shot a minute later and I'm still shaking with adrenaline. I'm breathing hard. We were in a fortunate position that they were bedded down and we had the opportunity to, to be really mindful with, with our our positioning and how quickly we were moving and everything. I don't think I was 100% Jay. I think I was really close to it, but I know that... I had squeezed the trigger many times with the safety on. I know that I had gotten settled and cozy in the scope and out and in and out a few times. I, I made sure that I wasn't trying to support the gun whatsoever. It took me four or five times to arrange the jackets to wear the butt of the gun. I mean, literally, I nestled into the gun and barely, I wasn't even supporting the gun. I had my hand on the barrel and I pulled the trigger. And that's another tip that I was getting a little anxious and I was, oh, just screw it. Just hold it. You can hold it steady enough. You're prone. But uh, when we were target shooting the day before and that day that I took that extra time to get the, the butt of the gun or the heel of the gun, something rested to where I wasn't supporting that. So if there was any movement, it was probably left to right movement and not necessarily up and down. And when I finally did have that, and I had the time to do that, and multiple times, and I'd squeeze the trigger with the safety on and breathe and breathe and breathe, <sighs> I think you can even hear it in the video. Something, here we go, boys, or something like that. You can hear me take one more big deep breath. Kaboom. Yeah, and it was a perfect shot. It was I a mean, perfect shot. I've watched a shot yeah, 30, awesome. 30 times in it. It hit just a hair right above where we were aiming, where you guys told me to hit him. and He went, I mean, he never even got up. Nope. Um, pretty cool. We were able to find the bullet fragments. We actually found uh, where the bullet had gone through and hit a rock uh, behind him. Uh, and, you know, pretty awesome. Uh, one shot kill, 195 yards with a muzzleloader, um, even sweeter. It's just a smidge smaller than your dad's ram, which is what you wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was Ric Flair. It was a ram from the very first time you saw him. That was Logan. Every time we'd say, Hey Logan, are we going to get Ric Flair? And he would do his Ric Flair <laughs> impression. Um, but buddy, it was just an awesome 
ending to a great hunt and a great friendship that we've had. Yeah, man. Uh, just another another piece of the friendship because I'm sure there's a lot more coming and, no, for and sure. such. We've been on so many different hunts together uh, with Tyler, with your dad, with you. And um, it was just fun being able to see you complete and get your desert bighorn sheep in Arizona. Um, and it's just been fun, uh, you know, seeing the success that you've had, being in this office and, you know, looking over at your big Jordan poster here. And, and you know, the good things happen to good people who work hard. Logan Hall, it's a, it's a pretty neat to see uh, where you've come and from when I first met you. And I look forward to many more adventures. And it was awesome getting to sit down here and do a podcast with you about it. And uh, just I'll give you the floor now if, if you have any final thoughts for listeners or, um, you know, anything that uh, you want to finish this uh, podcast with. I just really appreciate uh, you as a person and, uh, you know, the, the, the great person that you are and the quality things and, and you know, the great things happen around you, you know. Thank you, Jay. It's it's been a, a blessing to know you for 22 plus years, and see your growth as well. Uh, you know, we talked real estate in the early 2000s. We talked podcast four or five years ago when you were getting this started and everything you're doing. It was uh, it's been a, an honor. First year, first elk, first sheep. I think I asked you, can you claim that with anyone else? No, and I do want to add too. You bring up um, when Logan had his radio show. Um, I had actually bounced off of Logan that I was thinking of doing a hunting and fishing podcast. And honestly, he was like, you need to do it. You need to do it right now. You don't need to hesitate. Like you were uh, one of the defining, I guess, catalysts for this whole show. And you're like, do you know how successful it's going to be? This is a home run. And I was, I didn't know. I didn't, you know, my, I just had no idea. Um, so I credit you mm. for, you know, giving me the confidence to just go ahead and start it and do it. I had told you that Giannis and Steve Ranella had told me, yeah, we're starting one. And, and then I ran it by you cause you had a radio show and, um, yeah, so here we are. It's pretty awesome. I'm proud of you for that. Yeah. My radio show was lifeness. I took a little hiatus on it right before I killed my uh, big bull in 2015 in 5B North. I'm going to show you him. He's in the back of the office real quick before you leave. Uh, and, yeah, you know, life is fun. Life happens. Uh, one thing I'll say real quick is God rocks. Uh, we'll leave it at that. But it's 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 been a journey, and I love it, and we've got a whole lot more to, to move forward. I will just say that, you know, the one thing that I, I really admire about you is your integrity and your ethics. In everything you've done, you've always carried yourself as a, a, a very straightforward and caring person. And like myself, uh, you and I are very intense. We're high energy people. Uh, we're, we're very high confidence level people. And, you know, most of those things are, are helpful and sometimes not always. And I think one thing that you and I have had the, the fortune over the last few weeks in prepping for this sheep hunt is to learn from one another and and know that we can always be learning from other people. And, uh, you know, it's, you're the sum of the people you surround yourself with. My dad told me when I was a kid, and it took a while, you know, you fly with the crows, you get shot with the crows. And uh, I was flying with some crows when I was a younger kid, and, and fortunately we, we got out of that situation. I I soared with the eagles, man, and, and up high into the sky. And just just to live a good uh, a life, and, and a saying that I learned from my friend a long time ago is, you know, live the life you love and love the life you live. I don't know what really else to say about that, Jay, other than if you're doing that, do that with the golden rule and have compassion and empathy for your your fellow human and these beautiful animals that we get to harvest and do it the right way and do it with integrity. And another thing my dad taught me when I was a kid that, you know, you don't shoot anything, you're not going to eat. Um, he shot a pigeon when he was a kid and his dad made him eat it, you know? And so guess what my son already knows and, and those sorts of things. So when you're bringing up your, your the youth and the next generation of, of hunters and fishermen and, and conservationists and people that are going to be, be taking this, you know, to the next generation after them, just teach them the right way. And, and Jay and I were talking about this earlier that your grandfather said it and you've heard it many times before that it's, 
It's real easy to do the right thing when people are looking. It's not so easy to do the right thing when people aren't looking. And that just goes back to ethics and integrity and being able to lay your head on your pillow at night. And So yeah, if I have one, one other thing to say to just anyone in general, you know, live the life you love and love the life you live. And a big thank you to Jay Scott and Jay Scott Outdoors and Dara Colburn and the rest of my all-star squad that helped me harvest this sheep. And Jay, keep doing what you're doing. I know that all your listeners love it and, and you educate them and and hopefully you're you're helping them be more successful, not only on the harvest, but in the manner of which they hunt and the tactics and strategies and all of that. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I know that, that a lot of people enjoy and, and learn from you, and that's your gift in life. And that's what I think I told you a few years ago when we were talking about this, that when you were going to start this podcast, that this is this is what what this is what you were made to do. You've done a lot of other things leading up to this, and it took a while and always does to settle into our our home, but this is what you were meant to do, so keep doing what you're doing and, and uh, keep living the life you're living, man. You're a great example to all the other hunters out there. Thanks, you, brother. Love, love you, man. Love you.